Welcome to Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul. I'm Rick Cushman. And I'm Paul Wagner. So, Paul, you know how you're always being mean about sommeliers? <laughs> Rick, I, I am not mean about sommeliers. I think there are a ton of really good sommeliers out in the market. They do great work, and I'm a huge fan. Well, we're going to mend some fences for you today, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> and we're going to make it up to us. Hello, is this mic on? <laughs> <laughs> we're, well, how we're going <laughs> to... Yep, you'll you'll have some friends again, Paul. And uh, what we're going to do is uh, we're, we've got uh, some great examples of very good psalms and good. anti-snob ideas about good service. Excellent, because that's what good psalms are all about. Don't worry, Paul. They won't hate you forever. Um, also today, also today, listeners ask uh, what it means when a wine is closed, uh-huh. what's a firm wine, and about dealing with the massive amount of wine choices in a, sh- in a supermarket. Plus, our horrible wine writing is a careful embroidery of snobbiness. Oh, my God. <laughs> and, and because we can't resist, we did include one pretty jerky comment from a not-nice sommelier. Okay. Plus, as usual, we'll make fun of wine snobs Particularly that not Even nice if sommelier. they're sommeliers, yes. that's right. Yeah, yeah. Um, by, by the way, yes, and yet still we're on Capital Public Radio's podcast line. Paul, can you imagine? Uh, right alongside Says You and all of that other stuff that's uh, that's quality radio. I'm not sure Says You is quality radio, but you and I disagree on that <laughs> now one. <laughs> we're, now we're going to get sued yes. by them. <laughs> oh, darn it. Love Says You, perfect show. All right. We're, uh, we're also on Napa Broadcasting. Yes. Uh, uh, straight from Napa Valley College, we're, the institution of higher learning. We're, as I understand, you teach multiple classes now, Paul. I do, I do. So those folks yep. have some judgment issues. <laughs> and, and, and look for us, of course. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, at Rick and Paul Wine. Uh, ask us a question. Yes. All right. Uh, so the show, Paul, isn't totally vicious. Come uh, <laughs> and that I am still the nice guy you all know and love. Oh, yeah. We're going to give props to a range of Psalms who seem to both really get their jobs and understand why people can be afraid of them. Yeah, you know, I've actually heard from Psalms who say that some of their customers walking into the restaurant would prefer to check their phones for information about a wine rather than ask the Psalm because they're just so intimidated by yeah. these guys. Yeah, and it's unfortunate. It really is unfortunate. It's the bad guys that are doing it and, and hurting the good guys. Yep. Yeah, and, you know, we tend to pick on the most horrific cra- uh Yes, we do. Horrific we, quotes. We like picking on the horrific ones. Yes, we do. And, and they, <laughs> it makes for a good podcast, too. Yeah. Um, uh, um, but there's a lot. There's a big part of the good side of the Psalm world, um, and we want people to have faith in their wines. Well, it should be pointed out that in the quartermaster sommelier's education process, one of the things they actually test you on is your ability not just to know about wines, but also to provide really good customer service to and treat to, your and customers to, right. And to listen, which is a lot of what these folks have to say. What? So, uh, <laughs> what, what did well, he, don't Kevin, worry, what did he say? Don't worry, Paul. You're not going to be passing any service <laughs> tests soon, so we're, we're in good shape. All right. So I, what I did, well, uh, I got some, uh, some uh, quotes for some major magazines, uh, okay. and, and they all those major magazines, they have lawyers. <laughs> yes, they do. We don't even have a good intellectual property app. So, so we're not going to mention any names. Nope, nope. nope. Okay, good. Uh, we're not n- mentioning the names of Psalms because we didn't get their permission either. 
Uh, did you do any research at all on this record? Did you just pull no. the stuff out of your head? Uh, I didn't. I, I read a couple magazines <laughs> about it. Uh, we can tell you one of them is a major wine mag. So, all right. <laughs> a major wine mag. A ma- Good. major okay. wine mag. You can guess which one that might be because there's more than one. All right. So here's a London sommelier who says the increase in people taking wine knowledge tests and trying to climb through the certification ranks has led to an in- increase in what he called smarty pants psalms. You know, I like this guy already. Yep. Because he doesn't say intimidating. He says smarty, smarty pants. pants. Yep. I like him. And he says it great, too. He says they can take over your guest experience by throwing around esoteric details on a variety or a soil or something, he says. Yeah. So, you know, he says it's a bad approach for hospitality and business. And this is what he says. Your objective is to make people happy because when they're happy, they'll spend a bit more money, which is why we're all here. Don't shove education down people's throats. They just want a little bit of guidance, even something so simple as, I tasted this and really liked it. You know what? This guy's a genius. Yep. Yep. He's got it all right there. (laughs) They are in business, right? It's that simple, right? And it doesn't need to be more complicated than that. Yep. Yep. God, I wish podcasts were that simple. Right. I've heard us, and I like us, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> All right. The next one is from a psalm from Charleston, South Carolina. Which, in a little bit of complete esoteric wine geekdom, is the absolute capital of world Madeira consumption. Who knew? Okay. Well, I did. But uh, I did not know that. Yeah, Madeira consumption. Why would uh, well that goes back to the slave trade and goes back to the uh, early colonies. Yeah, but the wonderful collections of Madeira in Charleston, South Carolina. Well, well, there you go. So, what does this guy or gal it's a, say? It's a woman. Uh, okay. And 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 she talked about how to get information from her customers and help them find wines they like. Yeah. And she says sometimes <clears throat> confusion develops because she and her customers can even use the same words and mean something totally different. Rick, we've been saying that for a number of years. Uh, I don't we know. are ahead of our time. I, we I, are I visionary. I don't understand those words. What are, what are the, <laughs> that's doesn't mean that's why to we've me. been talking yeah, about it, Rick. That's right. All right. And she says, so I try to use comparable, more familiar examples of wines that they have experience with to better understand what they're looking for. She says, we utilize our buy-the-glass wine program to help identify what a guest does or doesn't like. Perfect. So she lets them taste. What ha- an idea. I know. Having the guest taste a couple different styles of wine that we both understand can help bridge the translation gap between our two vocabularies. For perfect. Yep. Perfect. That's yep. way better than you asking to take bottles home and then for the next night. Uh, I, you'd think they'd let me. You'd well, think they'd so let you. We got one more psalm on this subject. I want to talk a little bit more about this okay. point, which is, and this okay. is uh, uh, a gentleman from New York who says, two people using the same words might be thinking totally different things. Yes. As we talk with guests, we must, we must figure out just what it is we're talking about. One person's bold is another person's lean. Yes. Uh, One person's short is another person's uh, Napoleon complex. I I was going to say a brilliant and adorable. Um, (laughs) It's helpful, and this is a psalm again, um, it's helpful to ask about the wines a guest typically drinks. Your average big and rich Chardonnay drinker may not enjoy the leaner, brighter Chardonnay, even if it's it's also from California. You know, Rick, I, I hesitate to bring this topic up, but in fact, your solution of taking pictures of the yep. wines you like mm-hmm. and then taking pictures These, horizontal. Yes. Those that solves this problem. Right. So if you've not heard this very quickly, as Paul said, take pictures with your phone of the wine you like and turn your phone sideways, take them to the wine you don't like, show it to this guy. He's going to help you. Yep. The, the, yep. the woman in but South now, Rick, Carolina. I have awesome. shown horizontal pictures of you to a million people, and they still haven't helped me get well, out of the Well, there's podcast. no other side of the pairing. It's, <laughs> there's, just, there's just, I'm an original, Paul. <laughs> yes, you are. <laughs> um, but I think that point about the different different vocabularies, that's 
something we, you and I have talked about a lot. You know, there's right. these idiot psalms that don't understand the word smooth. Right. You exactly know? right. And yes. so, you and know. And they want to explain what smooth means. Right. right. I know what smooth means. It's smooth. It means not rough. <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah, I got that one so, down. But that is true. And, and it is a difficulty as people progress through any industry. You know, words take on a much more textured meaning because you have, you know, the nuances of the industry. Right. And so when somebody starts to talk about something that, and it's, they're not, you shouldn't be required to have to get an education to go buy well, a glass of wine. You see this in other areas. You see this, for example, sometimes when you read the manual to um, your new uh, printer or your new piece of hardware or computer software, and you're reading the thing and you think, okay, an engineer wrote this. I want to know how to turn it on. Yes. Yes. Yeah. yeah I'm, I'm. Yes. And so that's that. That notion of different wine vocabularies in particular is is yep. absolutely great. All right. Yep. So a couple. Uh, Psalm said uh, uh, sometimes, and I like this too. That this is a very self-aware approach that you don't often see in lots for, of people, which is um, from us. For not example. for <laughs> self-aware us. <laughs> That's funny, Paul. <laughs> All right. A couple of psalms said that 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 like sometimes they just got to change the chemistry at the table. Yeah. Uh, one uh, Las Vegas psalm said, "Your job is to pay attention to them, not what you want." You know, Rick, I've heard this. I, I've never understood what it means, but I've heard it's, this. Said. It's a radical idea, isn't it? <laughs> Dear Lord. So this guy says, uh, some guests want a reserved person or a manager who approaches them in a very formal way, and others looking for a more casual, empathetic person. Do you think we should get a more reserved and uh, person or manager who approaches people in a formal way for this I th- podcast? I think for the podcast, we just need smarter, funnier people. <laughs> <laughs> Not hard to find. Yeah, that's true. All right, and then, then the, South, a dozen. the South Carolina Psalm weighs it on this, too, and I really like her line. She says, it's important to be able to get over yourself uh-huh. and be willing to let someone else step in. A guest who's having a difficult time with you might connect better with another server <clears throat> or another psalm. And the change will often help turn that person's night around. And that is, after all, the whole point is to right. make sure that person has a great time. Boy, these these sound like great psalms. I'm telling you. And I, that, that's the thing. You know, that's what makes – that's what makes going out fun. That's why you yep. you, you and that's what and and for you know for all of the grief we give psalms and we're going to give another psalm grief in a minute. Um, okay, good. But but <clears throat> it's you know I'd like to encourage people to to not be terrified of your psalm. Meeting. Right. And if they turn out to be jerks, then then tell them Rick and Paul said go away. <laughs> said, you know I if I have time I want to tell a quick psalm story here because I once went out to dinner with a uh, with my family and my two little daughters who were maybe six and nine at the time. And Psalm came to the table and immediately turned to the two little girls and said, ladies, what are we drinking tonight? I love it. And the two ladies wanted to know if they could possibly have a Shirley Temple. And we said, yes, it was a celebration evening. Nice. He immediately disappeared, did not say anything to the rest of the table, came back, put the drinks in front of the two little girls and then turned to the rest of the table and nice. said, now we can talk. That is service. That's service. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, I have a, a, actually an example of this, a little bit of independent research. This was from a friend um, who brought, friends who brought their own wine for an anniversary to a very good Sacramento restaurant with a very good wine list. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh, yeah. And during the meal, the psalm came over and offered a taste of one of their wines just so the folks would know that he's still paying attention to just, them. So just a little here, try yep. this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you like this, this is what you're drinking. This is our version of it. And uh-huh, uh-huh. so, and I, uh, this is a place I know and I know the psalm. So yeah. I called him and I asked him about that sort of thing. And he said, you know, we want them to know that uh, it's about enjoying your meal and your wine. We know that that'll help them, uh, help us in the long run. But first and foremost, it'll give them a better night. Yep. That's and, service. And, you know, the other side of this is when I take a bottle of wine to a restaurant, 
it's usually something old or something they probably won't have on the list anyway. And I'm this is where you and I differ, Rick. I can't finish a bottle of wine on my own. I bring one for me and one for Deborah, <laughs> and then I finish the rest of hers, yeah, and then right. maybe I have an extra just in case. So if there is a little wine left over, I frequently say to the sommelier, "Why don't you bring a glass and I'll pour you a little taste so you can try something that you probably wouldn't get to taste if you were just drinking what you're selling here at the restaurant." Yeah, th- that's actually a really nice touch, and um, it is something we do too. Um, I, though I don't certainly live in the the ex- exorbitant price category that you do with wines, but <laughs> when we do have something interesting, um, we do that. We save it for sure. Just all, especially yeah, yeah. if the service is good, yep. we always try to save them yep. a taste, you know. And yep. sometimes right up, right up front, yeah, you say, absolutely. "Would you like to taste it?" Yep. And by yep. the way, not that I do this for this reason, but sometimes if you let them taste it up front, they might wave the corkage. That's true. Well, that's we true. charge no corkage on questions, Paul. There's a good reason. Yeah, that's true. There's no service involved <laughs> no whatsoever, service. but we're going to answer a few. Uh, and by the way, one more time, a reminder: you can go to rickpaulwine.com or anywhere on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with. And uh, at Rick and Paul went and ask us a question. We are also on iTunes, of course. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. first question comes from Alan in Chico. Mm-hmm. And he says, this is the, the perpetual issue, right? When I walk in the store, there's absolutely no information that will help tell me if I'm going to like a wine or not. If yeah, I there pick, you go. He goes, if I pick up a bottle, and this is, this is actually an important thing for the wine industry to hear. If I pick up a bottle, a few of them will say something about fruit flavors. But how do I know if it's smooth or sweet or not or all the stuff that matters? Well, that's exactly it. And we just heard the sommeliers talking about people using different words to mean the same thing. Right. And the wine industry seems absolutely hell-bent on telling people that they don't know what language means because we're going to use this whole special set of words yep. and special meanings. And if you want to find out what our wine tastes like, well, you're just going to have to go blind because what we put on the back label almost never helps. Yep. So so th- that's the problem, Alan, is there's no easy answer other than a little bit of experience. If there's somebody around— Yes. Then you can ask and say, I yes. like a wine that's smooth or yep. I like a wine that's sweet or not sweet, I, you know, whatever. Or just I like this kind of wine. Yep. What else you got that's similar? And that goes back to my little take the pictures of the wines that you do like right. trick because you might find something there that's like that. Um, but that's this giant, you know, wall, this this massive, oppressive wall of wine. And and there's almost there is almost no answer. Uh, there's no secret because there's no description. There's just, no secret. You've got to have to kind of know. Them. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. it's why we don't sell more wine. Yeah, it's true. Um, one of the things though is uh, you know if there's like a, a display of wine around the store, mm-hmm. often somebody in the store will have put that wine up and knows something about the people. And you might ask one of the people right. running around the aisles, "Is yep. this X or is this Y? Is this kind of wine?" Yeah, you, yeah. yeah. But if you yeah. like it. You, you, that is the unfortunate thing. You, you have to do work a little bit to remember it, and that's where your phone comes in. That's where your phone comes in. you got a supercomputer in. in your pocket. Use it, my friend. <laughs> that's what I say. All right. This is from Sherry in Santa Maria. Wine country. It is. Uh, when a wine writer says a wine is firm, what does that mean? See, we are talking about vocabulary earlier. Yeah, there firm. you go. Right? Yep. So how about when they say it has fine-grained tannins, which I hear a lot. Does that mean it's smooth? Yeah, this is great. Yeah. And and actually, um, both of those are terms that wine people would understand, but the average consumer right. doesn't necessarily know. Firm is a wine that has a little more structure. It's a little maybe tougher. It is, it's also a description that has been used for my tush. All right, keep moving. 
<laughs> no, I've lost my tra- my train of thought has become completely derailed by your firm tush. Um, it means a little structured. If you're if you're interested in wines that are those big, rich, fruity wines, a wine that is firm is in some ways the other side of right. the coin to that. Right, right, right. Yep. Yeah. So that's what firm means. Yeah, yeah, and it is. Now, yeah, interesting. It's hard, it's a, it is a hard word to it, describe. Interestingly if you enough, yeah. if you have a wine that is firm, and you have it with some. Food, particularly some salty food, often a lot of that firmness will ease up a little bit, which is why people make that style of wine because it goes really well with a lot of good foods. Right, right. Um, and it'll often, if it's open for a while, sitting in your glass for a while, that kind of wine will also maybe quote unquote soften a tiny, a tiny right. bit. Right, um, like your tush. Yeah. No, my wine, my tush does not get uh, open too often. I'm just telling you. All right. And then fine grain tannins is another thing, and fine grain tannins does sort of lead to to smooth, uh, right? Because what it means is tannins are actually little tiny scratchy molecules, and if they're finer, they finer they are. The less scratchy they are. Yeah, the best example I I think the best way to explain this is that tannins make your mouth feel a little dry, almost as mm-hmm. if there's a little sandpaper in your mouth. And when they say fine grain sand, sandpaper, they mean fine grain tannins. They mean that sort of really light, delicate sandpaper on on the on the fine side of your nail file. Yeah. Whereas coarse tannins are the kind that you use to strip paint off the back side of the door when it's, you're. You know, it doesn't work though. I pour that tannic wine on the door, and <laughs> all I get is a stain. <laughs> yeah, you know, I don't I don't know why that doesn't work. So yeah, it it does have to do with the sensation on your mouth and whether or not it seems softer or yeah. m- m- literally coarser. But it is it, the the simple answer to <clears throat> Sherry is that you are in the ballpark. It is in is it in the yep. direction of smooth? Yeah, yep. she's 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 in there. Yeah, yep. yeah, yeah. well. Now, out of the ballpark, we got some really horrible wine writing coming oh right up. Oh, boy. Yeah, that's some bad stuff. Yep, yep. This is not fine grain writing here, Paul. <laughs> All right, so we've got a couple of things going on here. Um, but uh, you, you brought in a, a description that I think we need to hear. Yeah. Uh, the 2013 shows laser focus and precise delivery of aromas. This bold wine is delicately assembled. Okay, I, I, I just got to stop on precise delivery of all aromas. Yeah. How is that possible? Well, you know, they're squirting it into little different parts of your <laughs> nose as you're, as you're trying to smell the wine. And then I love the fact that the bold wine is delicately assembled. Yes, yes. Delicately yes. assembled. I'm sorry, I interrupted you. Keep going. But I just, precise <laughs> delivery of aromas got me. The bold wine is delicately assembled and shows the deft hand of the winemaking team behind the scenes. As opposed to the winemaking team that was in front. That's out in front taking bows to the audience. Those guys actually sing and dance. Exactly. Bright fruit and cherry. Bright fruit and cherry. Right, because cherry's not a fruit. Are connected in subtle tones of ash and crushed minerals. Because you don't want big blocks of minerals in your wine. You want them crushed up into tiny little bits. Crushed minerals, yes, yes. Yes. Um, <clears throat> sorry, I left out a careful embroidery to spice, leather, tar, and smoking tobacco. Yeah. Uh, it has enough acidity to cut through smoked scamorza cheese on the grill. So this is this is the kind of thing that I always get a kick of. And, and, and if somebody doesn't know it's scamorza cheese, it's actually a rich sort of Italian cheese that they cut in thick slices and then grill it. But it's not something that a lot of people do. So why would this be your food pairing? <laughs> 
Yeah, well, it's because it shows off how much this person knows about food and wine. Yes, yes, that's so common. And one of the really things that just drives me bananas, it goes both directions. So, you know, we we always get these questions uh, from the, why, when there's a food pairing, do they pick some obscure wine from some obscure place that they could never get? Right, and then the, the answer is why, when they match it with food, do thing. they pick something that nobody in the Western Hemisphere has ever eaten? Exactly right. Exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. All right. yeah. Careful so, embroidery. Yeah, I like that one too. Uh, yeah. As opposed to the the slapdash embroidery of spices. Well, exactly. <laughs> and the subtle tones of ash and crushed minerals. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. The, you okay. know, you know, it's funny. I see, we seem to be running into the crushed minerals a lot. Not as good as the smashed minerals that we had one time. Right. But what right. is it that is going on in the wine writing world now that people think that— Well, the, that, when you crush the minerals, then they're smaller. Yeah, it's like these sliced orange we you had You can get more ago. of them in the description Yes, well, there you go. Yeah, they fit, they fit better. <laughs> they fit better. All right, so— awesome. Top so, that, Rick. So, uh, well, Rick, top this, that. This is not a description, but um, since we, we can't resist making fun of those smarty pants <laughs> psalms, as one of our good psalms said. Okay. So here's something from a psalm— um, this was a person the so the I blame the writer and the psalm. So okay. the, the person was writing answers to a set of questions for a popular lifestyle magazine, right? Uh, and not for wine geeks. Um, and I don't know, maybe maybe I don't blame the writer. Maybe it's just the psalm. But so these are the questions. One of them was, "What was your most memorable blind tasting, good or bad?" This is okay. an MS, by the way, Master right. Sommelier. So who has spent a lifetime. Doing blind tasting, right? And this is what, <clears throat> and right. this is what this says. I passed the tasting portion of the MS exam on the first try, so I was very happy about that. But that is not the most memorable. I would have left that out. But anyway, well, but, but this is what the psalm said. But that and, it shows that she's really, 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 really good. Yeah, and then she says, "I was in a competition two days ago, and I totally failed." They poured us a very entry-level type of red wine that you'll find in a low-cost grocery shop, and I gave it a little bit more credit than it deserved. Oh, I hate it when that happens. So basically what she said was she liked it until she found, found out, out what, what it was. It was. And right. then she realized that she'd been too nice because she can't be she can't be nice to a wine that that's cheap because— Even then, if it tastes good. Because, no, that wouldn't be a snobby sommelier. I'm, Right, and and aye, the, aye, that aye. snooty, curled up nose of yeah. that uh, uh, of a entry level type of red that you'll find in a low cost grocery shop. You mean the kind of wine that most people drink? Most people buy every day for yeah, dinner. Right, yeah. that's a two. Yeah, anyway. Good. All right, as in, and then there's this too, and this is just part gibberish and part completely disattached from actual humanity. Um, <laughs> so, what's your number one piece of advice for people who want to improve their blind tasting skills? So this is the answer. I think first and foremost, you can't just blind taste. You have to do two things. You have to really understand wine labels at face value. Otherwise, when you blind taste a wine, it won't make any sense. If you continue to blind tasting wine you've never tried before, judging the wine correctly is going to be very difficult. Okay, that's the first thing. Now, I have no idea what that means. Me either. <laughs> <laughs> but I think she's saying don't taste it blind. Well, no, she's saying taste it blind and then look at the label and see if you can figure out from the label what it is you're tasting. But she says it so badly. And you know what she's saying is because you might end up giving one of those low-cost grocery <laughs> more, shop more wines. More credit than that, it deserves. Yeah. <laughs> and then here's the second thing. The second thing is you need to taste with winemakers. Because okay. everybody could do that. Well, yeah, of course. If you, Rick, you and I taste with winemakers every day. Do we? No. No. We don't. No. In fact, no. we never taste no. with winemakers. In the industry, I don't. No. And, you know, like yeah. how easy is that going to be for somebody who yeah. does, doesn't happen to be a master sommelier? Number one piece of advice for people who want to improve their blind tasting skills? Aye, aye, aye. Number one piece of advice. And it, apparently 
if you if you if you take it is first of all the first one doesn't seem like one piece of advice it seems like three pieces of advice advice mixed into one yeah but it doesn't it, so it, that's your number one piece of advice and then number two piece of advice is something that nobody can do nobody could possibly do yeah great yeah. okay good yeah. thank well, you very thank much you. Thanks, thanks for, for the playing. help all right so thank you. let's just remind you that there are those nice psalms out there too yes all there right. are and there's those nice uh, guys like us that are going to answer some questions so we got a couple more or try we're going to try <laughs> we're going to so, try so the first one is from Candace in Boston. Um, and she says, uh, we've been told uh, uh, grapevines are pretty hardy in the winter and pretty resistant to cold, but really vulnerable in the spring. Why on both of those? Well, they watch a lot of movies in the spring and they get to feeling very emotional. Yeah, yeah. It's, they've been in the, in the house all winter. That's right. And they just, they're, 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 they just go uh, to, you know, they, they watch a good American heart, Express they're, they're, car, uh, commercial and they just start crying. Their little hearts are broken so easily. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, what it is is as long as the vine is dormant in the winter, it literally is dormant. It means it has no external growth on it. Well, well, this this is a part that I really like. Um, is that, and I always have to write down what the temperature is. But the um, the is that actually after harvest, the the, the vines start stocking up on carbohydrates. They carbolate. They you know they're taking in nutrients, and then it actually keeps them from freezing a little bit better, and so they can go down to about twelve degrees. Right. So that's the number I always forget that's what it Fahrenheit. is. Yeah. If twelve degrees Fahrenheit, right? That's Fahrenheit. Right, right. For those of you keeping score at home. Yeah. So I mean, that's the pretty amazing thing. And so they're dormant and they're resistant and they're just staying yeah. there. And yeah. it's kind of like me in the winter. I'm pretty dormant. You're pre- you're yes. dormant. Wait till you hear our shows in January. You're it's, dormant yeah. most of the time. It's be like doing with a log ball. <laughs> but here's what happens in the springtime is that in the springtime, the buds begin to swell and pretty soon they start shooting out little tendrils of the tenderest, tenderest little green growth. Little tiny, tiny leaves. And if those freeze, it really messes up the vine because yeah. those tendrils pretty much die in the frost and then the vine has to send out a secondary set of tendrils and the secondary set doesn't carry a lot of fruit and doesn't grow as strong it's not as good and so that's why they are so vulnerable in the spring you have to keep that part from freezing in the winter they're dormant and quite cold temperatures won't damage them but in the springtime a nasty little frost will really hammer a vineyard if you're not careful right and they've also lost their carbohydrates so in runner parlance they they could bonk yes i think i think we need someone to bonk you Rick. yes entirely <clears throat> uh, possible yeah. so one good power bar can Devin, could you bring in the bonker yeah. yes we need this <laughs> i'm telling you power bar that'll do it <laughs> Um, all right one more this is from courtney in roseville okay uh, and what does it mean when they say a wine is closed we were in a wine tasting, and the pourer warned us that a couple of the wines might be closed. They seemed fine to me. Right. Well, closed is a really fancy term for the fact <clears throat> that the aroma or the bouquet of the wine isn't as as obvious as you might hope. And so they say it's closed. To my mind, it's a little bit of a cheating term because it implies that it really is there. It's going to be better. It's going to be better. You just have to hang on. Yeah. Although in some cases, it can be true. Uh, you know, wines do go through yeah, – we've used this sort of metaphor, and it's not really a, a, the perfect metaphor, but wines are a bit like a sauce. And, right. you know, and they sort of evolve. And, and one of the my, things that helps them evolve is, is simply a little tiny, tiny bits of exposure to oxygen. My favorite, my favorite term is what they say about some wines, which could be applied to you, Rick, is that they go through a dumb phase. Yes. I, I'm, <laughs> I, I can't wait to get out of mine. I'm hoping – 
I'm hoping this year sometime. Yeah, that's yes, right. Yeah. Me too. Boy, you have no idea how much we... <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, I, f- I feel for you. Um, so that closed, is, is it's a little bit of fancy talk to saying we'd like this wine to have a little more aroma. If you swirl it around in the glass and give it a little time, it may open up a little more. Um, and fair enough, but especially if it's young, don't be don't be too confused by it. Taste the wine if you like it, buy it. If yeah. you don't like it, don't buy it. Yeah, and if you're tasting it and, and swirl it around a few times for sure, and um, and if you like it after a couple of swirls, and beyond that, don't you know? Then it's it's not going to like dramatically change on you. Right. It's, it's uh, <clears throat> right. You know, with reading reading one good self help book just won't do it. Um, <laughs> as as you well know. Yeah, I've tried. I've tried. Um, and I have learned, however, to maybe, you know, stop answering questions when it's time and in the show. <laughs> it may be that, that time. Was, in fact, every self-help book I read says, <laughs> go away. So we're going to do that. Um, that's it for another round of Bottle Talk. Our uh, producer is the ever-patient Devin Cortez. Thank you, Devin. Our associate producer is Jeremy Marin. Thank you to Capital Public Radio for the studio. Houston for including us on their podcast lineup. Don't forget to go to rickandpaulwine.com to answer us a qu- answer, ask us a question or Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at Rick and Paul Wine. And if you learned anything today, we hope it's that a good sommelier can be your friend. So don't be frightened. We can be your friends, too. Yes, but what does that have to do with today's show? Nothing. I just like having friends. You need all the friends you can get. I do. I'm Rick Cushman. I'm Paul Wagner. And remember the best wines, the wines you drink with friends. Or us. Especially when your friends are us. (laughs) 